0: Alrighty, I hope you say amen at the end of this sermon as well, because uh, I'd love to say we've got a nice, easy one for you today. I mean, we've dealt with it. Didn't Steve do an amazing job last week preaching about selfianity? Yikes, I listened to it twice, repented twice, and I was just recovering from uh, all of those who missed the sexual strongholds. I was still recovering from preaching that from two weeks ago, but we've been doing a journey. If you're new to Outlook Church, we're on a journey at the moment. About how do we break enemy strongholds and establish Jesus, the Lord, as the stronghold of our lives. Now I want to remind you, a stronghold is like a fortress. It's like a tower. It's something you look to for your protection and your strength. Now this is the revelation that we're after. This is the revelation I'm contending for and I hope you're contending for. Lord, I want to know you as my stronghold. In a world that's so uncertain, in a world that's so shaky, we don't know what the future's going to be like. We don't know what the economy going to be like. We don't know what our health is going to be like. Lord, we need a stronghold. We need something we can run to, something to be our strength and our defense. And when the Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? That's the logic of David who wrote this. Surely, if the Lord is your fortress, if the Lord is your tower, I mean, they've got to get through him to get to you. What is there to be afraid of? And what we're contending for as we've looked at different topics, is how do we break what what the enemy or what the world tries to establish, trying to say, this is your strength, this is what's going to give you power, this is what's going to enable you to making the Lord the stronghold. And I want to talk today about one of the biggest ones, one of the toughest ones, one that's relevant to, I believe, every single one of us. I want to talk about financial strongholds, because it says in uh, as much as we read this Psalm 27, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Listen to what it says in Proverbs. It says in Proverbs 18 verse 11, it says the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. Listen to that. I mean, here's something powerful like Jericho with big walls. My wealth is my fortress. They imagine it, a wall too hard to scale. Isn't that exactly what we're talking about? They imagine it. You see, all of these worldly strongholds, Or what we imagine, that's going to be my strength. That's my fortress. That's my tower. When I'm under pressure, that's where I go. And we've looked at different strongholds. Some would turn to alcohol or to drugs or to all these kind of things. That's where I go when I'm under pressure. They imagine it. That's the key word. You see, a stronghold is not like a stronghold of the Lord, which is true and steadfast. His promises are faithful, yes and amen. And we begin to realize sometimes just how flimsy some of those strongholds are that we thought they were so tough. And so this stronghold, if I had to sum it up into a two-word stronghold, it's simply this, financial security. Now that's a big thing because I grew up and, and my folks, I'm sure they're watching at home, I know for my dad this was a big thing, son, I want you to be financially secure. In terms of choosing your job, career, financially, that's the goal. And for his whole life, he worked hard, ran businesses, worked long and hard, putting money for the future and pensions and retirements because financial security is so critical. The irony, of course, now is as pensioners, they find it harder and harder every year because what was promised As this nest egg, this financial security is now under attack by everything rising and pensions going down and fuel. And suddenly where's that security that was promised all of those years? In fact, the Bible calls financial security an oxymoron. Oxymoron, if you know what that is, is a contradiction. It's something we think, but actually the opposite is true. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is what a stronghold is, which is so uncertain. That's what the Bible says, not me. So the Bible says your wealth is is uncertain. Whatever you might believe, whatever the world might tell you, the Bible tells you, your wealth is uncertain. So if you have anchored your life on financial security, you're building on quicksand. One of my greatest friends, Mlin Mube, he, uh, is an amazing guy. I've traveled with him many times in South America. <laughs> He's a Zimbabwean man. He leads a church in Harare. To us, the government has told him, "Sorry, your money is now worthless. We're going to change and do a different form of money." He came with me to Venezuela once with a big shopping bag full of cash. He had billions because at that stage Zimbabwe was built, like literally printing a ten million dollar note and a one billion dollar note. And we went around Zimbabwe. I mean, in Venezuela, and he gave out offerings. I'd like to give you ten million dollars. I'd like to give you a hundred million dollars. I'd like to, and people were amazed because. One day woke up, the government said, actually, all of that money, now worthless, we all start again at zero, and we're going to use U.S. dollars. Imagine all your life savings that you've been building for, one day you wake up, okay, by the way, that money is now worthless. You see, we can build what we imagine is our strength and our tower, but I want to tell you, church, the Bible says it is uncertain. And if the Bible says it's uncertain, then what I can only tell you as a pastor and as a preacher, don't Build your security upon finances, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, please hear my heart. I'm not against good financial stewardship, I'm not against saving for retirement. All of those things are good things. Today, I'm talking about the heart. Our hearts, where are we putting our trust? And we're going to compare the difference in a moment. I went, to, uh, I went to South America a couple of years ago, and just before I left on the trip, now many of you know, when you travel internationally, it's expensive to travel internationally. It's just one of those things that you've got to get your mind around, and, and I went on this particular trip, but just a day or two before, I read that scripture when Jesus was sending out the 12 to go and uh, preach the gospel. It says in Matthew 10, verses 9 and 10, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. I'm thinking that's a great idea for those days. But I mean, that's not practical or relevant nowadays. I mean, nowadays you can't travel without credit cards and all of those things, because I mean, this is nowadays, that was then. But you know, sometimes you don't realize you have a stronghold until you put in a position of uncertainty and fear, because then it tells you straight away, which way do you run? So I land in South America, put my credit card, normally draw some money from the ATM or use it. Sorry, this card is blocked. Suddenly I'm thinking, oh, cook. I've got a three-week trip internationally, and the credit card that I use for all of my spending is now being blocked. Oh, dear God, what was that scripture again? <laughs> no, no, don't take any money or in your bag for, for your journey. Do you know and the most amazing thing happened? I didn't tell anyone. But I didn't spend a cent on the whole trip. Everywhere I went, I mean, sometimes I get a little offering here and there. This particular trip, I came home with extra money. I actually made money for the church out of the trip. There we go. (laughs) Just because everywhere I went, people gave me offerings, paid for this, sorted, this, sorted, that. I didn't even tell them, but it was as if God was saying, who do you really trust? I can take away your ability to spend money, and I can still look after you. What do you mean, don't take a shirt or extra? I went to Zimbabwe once. And uh, I landed at the airport, I had this nice new little green travel suitcase, and and as my bag was coming off the turnstile, I was thinking, oh no, come on, that was a new suitcase when I left Joburg, now it looks really old and beaten up. When I get to where I'm going, which is like an eight hour drive away, I open it up and realize this is not my suitcase. Someone else had taken my nice new one, but it's different, now I'm like, oh, turns out that trip... I was staying with a guy that everyone who sees the two of us says, that guy looks identical to you. Turns out he's exactly the same size of everything. So I went, this one particular trip, the only time I've ever lost my bag going on a trip, I end up staying with a guy whose exact size, all his clothes, everything were a perfect fit, didn't miss a beat. What's my point? Who is the foundation of your trust? This thing of trusting in financial security is so tempting because the whole world does it, but the Bible says it's a stronghold. Now, two examples of the way this can manifest. Number one is the supply is limited. What we're talking about here is a poverty mentality. Now, this is what I've recognized in my own life is always it's going to run out. It could easily run out. Now, I'm not talking about being greedy or reckless, but it's an issue of revelation. You see, money is like a bucket. God is a river. So when we have, when all our trust is in money, just remember, money is a bucket, but God is a river. Which do you want to trust? And sometimes you might find, like I found in my own heart, Lord, I'm always worried it's going to run out. And that's a sign that you're trusting in a bucket rather than you're trusting in a river. Before we... uh, started a building project if you'd come to me honestly with integrity and and, and you said to me Brent I'll give you two options on the left hand one million rand towards the building project in the right hand the revelation of the gracious hand of God that's upon you which would you choose? Now, now with integrity because of experience I would every time say no 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 rather give me this revelation that God's gracious hand is upon us Because, you know, when you have a revelation that God is a river, his hand is upon us, he is limitless, it's so much more than a one-time, he has a million rand, which when you're building, you can spend pretty quickly. Does that make sense? I know that uh, I've always joked about it, but actually it's true. You can always tell if you've got a poverty mentality when you open up a menu at a restaurant. Because there's always two columns. On the left, we have the list of food. On the right, we have the prices. Which do you look at first? With every head bowed and every eye closed, you see, that's me, straight away, straight away, you open up a menu, it's like, whoa, where's the, oh, oops, salad it is. (laughs) (laughs) Because sometimes that's, anyway, I noticed it as well, one of the ways it manifests in my life is, is giving's great, receiving is hard. Have you ever been in a situation, I was in one recently, I had my birthday the other day and the guys got together and they wanted to bless me with a, a new golf driver, I play some golf with the guys, but buying a golf driver is like they start at this price and they go to this price. And it's fine if someone gives you a gift here, it is you say yay, but when they say choose one, it's like that menu. Am I looking at the club or am I looking at the price? I found it like this is the hardest thing. Because actually, am I pulled towards what I want or what I think I am worthy of? You see, these are the things that can point in our hearts. What are you building your life on? So one is a poverty mentality, supplies limit. Another way this, this stronghold manifests is with the belief money is the key to happiness. If that were true, the richest people in the world should be the happiest people in the world, but statistically they're the most depressed. Well, they are. I remember uh, there was a family in church once and I got involved. They were going through a crisis and at the root of the crisis was a financial issue. At the root of the financial issue was the fact that their furniture and everything was being repossessed. At the root of that issue was discovering they had bought all of this new furniture and TV and appliances even though they had no money. They'd bought it on this big HP agreement from a furniture company. And then I'm like, why would you do something so, I'm trying to sound spiritual now, <laughs> silly. <laughs> when the truth came out it was this, because I want my family and friends to think I'm successful. That's it. So, so I, want, I want people to see success in my life So I'm buying all this stuff, so when people see me, they're seeing success. As if those things were now, now you see it's not actually a financial issue. It always comes back to an identity issue inside of us. And that's what we're going to see. When you're trusting in finance, actually the root is not money. The root always comes back to our revelation of God and our own identity before him. So let me read some scripture. Well, let me read this quote first from someone called Will Rogers. Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. That's the problem with strongholds. So Matthew chapter 6, let's read this and then I've got some points to make. Matthew 6:19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, excuse me, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. It speaks about a generous spirit that's open and loving. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Satan. It's amazing that it doesn't say that, does it? It speaks about two masters. And it says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Sure, what I want to do is just compare. If you can't see on camera, if you're watching online, this side we've got our stronghold being demolished and this side we have our vision. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. I want to compare just four things between money as a stronghold and between the Lord as a stronghold. Number one, the fruit. The fruit of money as a stronghold in your life Is worry. The fruit of the Lord is the stronghold of whom shall I be afraid? Is peace. So right now, honestly, I mean you're saying, well, Pastor, come on, let's be real now. How can we not worry about finances nowadays? How can we not, with the petrol price going this way, and with the recessions and with unemployment and with cutbacks here? I spoke to one of the the, uh, the the widows recently at our and the oldies and but they've just My pension again, don't they not realize everything's going this way and they cutting the pen? How can you not worry? Well, don't get mad at me, get mad at Jesus. Because looking at his disciples, he says, Therefore, do not worry. This is not a suggestion from Jesus, this is a command from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He looks at his disciples and says, Do not worry about what you'll eat and what you'll drink or what you'll wear. And when he says, Therefore, You've got to ask yourself, what is it there for? And it's there for because he's just said you can't serve two masters. You'll love the one, hate the other. And the only way we can learn not to worry is by genuinely having Christ as the foundation, the revelation of the goodness of God as our provider. I tell you, do not worry, verse 25, about what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. To live stressed out about finance, even in these tough times, is a warning sign that you're serving money more than God. Second thing is the lifestyle. The lifestyle of having money as your security is a lifestyle of running. I'm not talking about my wife who just wants to go running all the time. I'm I'm talking about a, a busyness factor in our lives. This is a lifestyle of chasing after... This is a lifestyle of walking. Let me explain a little bit. In uh, Matthew 6.32, it says, For the pagans run after these things. It's speaking about those trappings that come from money or the necessities. But it says the pagans. A pagan is someone who does not have God in their life. Now, when this is your God, truly, your lifestyle becomes one of continual running after provision, running after necessities, running after luxuries, because this is how we worship. A God of money. When the Lord is the stronghold of our lives, you learn to walk. Did you know that God never ran? When God came down to meet with Adam and Eve in the garden, he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Jesus never ran, he walked. Everywhere he went, didn't have a car, didn't have a bicycle, didn't even have a donkey, borrowed one when he needed one, he walked. Everywhere he went, he walked. When Enoch was taken up to the heaven, he never even died, it says, because he walked with God. And so God took him away. The Bible tells us, walk in step with the Holy Spirit. The only time it tells us to run is it says, flee from sexual immorality. Run away from that, but every other time, walk with the Lord. You know, Jesus was amazing. He was the most productive person in the history of the world. In three years, he accomplished so much walking. And he was interrupted. I mean, I would have had my calendar and I was like, sorry, don't interrupt me. Actually, he was interrupted all the time. And out of those interruptions he did most of his ministry, he walked. Is your lifestyle dominated by hurried busyness chasing after or is there a calmness to walking with the Lord? The third thing when we compare the two is your emotion. The emotion of money as a stronghold is, the Bible uses the word sad, but I would go for that word kind of unfulfilled versus joy. Let me explain. Steve actually quoted that scripture from Luke 18, verses 18 to 23. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Steve spoke about that void. You still lack one thing. In other words, there's something missing inside of you that's never going to take away that sense of unfulfilledness. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, at the root of his thinking was money leads to happiness. And what happened? He walked away sad. don't, Don't you see the irony, Mr. Rich Young Ruler? Because that's exactly what happens. So when we're chasing after this, there's always this thought, if I just had that bigger house, if I just had that car, if I just had that job, if I just got to that level, I'm going to feel this peace and tranquility and fulfillment come upon me. And then you realize it's a moving target. You never get there. On the other hand, compared to this, brothers and sisters in 2 Corinthians 8 Verse 1, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That's weird. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. You see, we were created not just for success, personal, but for significance because we are a community of people together. And so happiness doesn't come from money stored as much as money given. And yet the world is all about the more I have, the happier I'll be. And then you realize actually it leaves you empty and sad. God is all about, no, no, I'll give you so you can give away and guess what? You'll discover joy along the way. And lastly, if we compare the two, when money is, is the stronghold, money becomes your focus. Your love becomes a land around your job, around your business, around making money because that's the center. When God is your focus, when God is the stronghold, he is the focus. And what Jesus said, remember that famous verse, Matthew six thirty three: but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, when the Lord is the stronghold of our life, we realign our lives to say, that's what I'm aiming for. All of these things God will take care of if the Lord is the stronghold of my life and he's the focus. I want to ask you, have you linked your purpose to God's kingdom? Whatever your purpose might be, whatever your job might be, maybe let me take it deeper. Have you linked your job to the kingdom? You see, sadly, it's a heresy to think Hey Brent, you're in full-time ministry, I've got a job in a factory. No, no, we are both in full-time ministry. Maybe I get a salary from the church, maybe you get a salary from a factory or from a school or whatever your business might be. But the reality is, when the Lord is the stronghold of our lives, He's the center point, the centerpiece of everything. He is our focus, and whether you work in a church or work in a factory, you are called to full-time ministry. Have you linked? Are you working for God? Are you working with God? Are you working for money or are you working for the Lord? You see, that's the big adjustment. If we're going to let go of that to take hold of that, we do it for the Lord. All things unto the Lord and for his glory. We've got to stop allowing stronghold of money to control our thinking. I need to land, but I want to leave you with two Two examples or two stories from my life of trying to deal with money as a stronghold. And the first one I mentioned already, in terms of the revelation, God is a river and not a bucket. I don't want to put my trust in a bucket that runs out. I want to put my trust in a river that flows. Kate and I were doing church planters training before we planted the church back in 2001 and some, many of you have heard me tell the story, but we were being trained to plant a church and the guy leading the training came in one day and said, today, I'm gonna give you the secret of planting a successful church. I was so excited. My pencil was out sharpened. I was ready. Give me those five points because I'm an engineer and I want structure and I want And he says, the secret of planting a successful church is the gracious hand of God upon you. I'm like, huh? But what happened in that moment, part of me was disappointed because I wanted a strategy. But the other part of our hearts was convicted by this revelation. And it says, let me read it to you, Nehemiah 2. Nehemiah was uh, about to go back and rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, but he had to go to a king, a foreign godless king. And he says, the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, and so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates and the citadel of the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I'll occupy? I mean, imagine going to a king, fearing for your life, Not just asking for a whole lot of leave, but then asking for letters of permission and a shopping list of everything you want. And then it says, and because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. And friends, when that revelation broke into our hearts, it's like, Lord, that's why I can trust you for the river of your supply to flow in my life. That's why we can do building projects. That's why we can go to nations. Not because we can afford it or deserve it or earn it. But because your gracious hand, that's a picture of Jesus, because your gracious hand is upon us. And in that moment, it's like something broke inside of me. Lord, it's not about greed or extravagance. It's about, Lord, trusting you not to be contained by this poverty type thinking. Lord, if your gracious hand is upon us, surely you'll grant our requests. And the testimony we have is exactly that. As we listed all of the things that we needed to plant the church, God's gracious hand supplied every one of them. In fact, you probably are an answer to that prayer. Let me give you one last story. I was flying home from... uh, from Colombia once. It had been one of those long trips. And uh, in my morning reading, I'd read this Matthew passage that I have just mentioned. Matthew six twenty six. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And in that moment, Jesus, you're talking all about finance and provision. And suddenly you point the finger at your disciples and say, are you not much more valuable to me than all of these other things that I've created that I looked after so well. And in that moment, I suddenly had this, that's what this is all about. I don't feel very valuable. Do you ever feel, I mean, some people need to come down a little bit, you know, because they kind of think they're God's gift to the world. But most of you, actually the opposite's true. There's rather a sense of, I don't see myself as that valuable. But as if God spoke to me in that moment, you are valuable to me. You can trust me and I'm gonna take care of you because I value you so much. So I thought like, wow, Lord, that's amazing. And then I checked in and it's like the angels were singing because they said, Mr. Brading, we're going to just upgrade you to business class for the flight home. It only ever happened to me twice before on an international flight. And I'm sitting in this because this is like a six hour flight now, not just back from Harare. This is like a six hour flight. It's got one of those seats. You, you push the button and you can set the way it massages your back while you're flying. I'm telling you, it is like, it is like a piece of heaven comes down. And I'm lying there having my back massaged by this beautiful chair, sipping a little bit of non-alcoholic champagne. And while I'm doing that, God reminds me, are you not much more valuable? And in that moment, it broke off this poverty-type thinking. Church, I want to ask you, is finance, financial security, is that your stronghold? Or is the Lord the stronghold of your life? You see, it's so easy to get drawn into this worldly way of thinking and miss the goodness of God. So I'll leave you with a a little story that I, I read about a dad trying to show his son, trying to teach him to be grateful about what it means to be rich. Some of you, I'm sure, have heard it. And it says, one day a very wealthy father took his son on a trip to the country for the sole purpose of showing his son what it looked like to be poor. They spent a few days and nights on the farm of what would be considered to be a very poor family. After their return from the trip, the father asked his son how he liked the trip. It was great, Dad, the son replied. Did you see how poor people can be? The father asked. Oh, yeah, said the son. So what did you learn from the trip? Asked the father. The son answered. I saw that we have only one dog, but they have four. We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden, but they have a river that has no end. We have imported lanterns in our garden, but they have all the stars at night. Our patio reaches to the front yard, but they've got the whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on, and they have fields that go beyond our sight. We have servants to serve us, but they get to serve others. We buy our food, but they grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect us, but they have friends to protect them. The boy's father was speechless. Then his son added, It showed me just how poor we really are. Don't get sucked into the thinking of the world. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen? Why don't you stand with me please? If you don't mind closing your eyes just for a moment. Please remember I'm not celebrating poor and knocking rich. That's not what this is about. I truly believe our Heavenly Father wants to extravagantly bless men and women with huge and abundant resources so that it can be used in the kingdom of God mightily. So I'm not trying to celebrate poor and make it a virtue. What I'm trying to speak about is our hearts and the foundation of our trust. And Heavenly Father, we pray for the working of your Holy Spirit in our hearts We don't want to build on flimsy, high walls that we imagine will protect us and call it financial security. Father, you are the foundation of our lives. Jesus, you are the rock on which we build. Father, we build on a revelation of your faithfulness. We are valuable to you. You love us, and you are a generous, loving Father. Father, forgive us for seeing ourselves as less than valuable in your eyes. What an insult! To a heavenly father to doubt your love and provision for your children. Heavenly father, I pray that you would even now, even as I've been speaking, be smashing enemy strongholds and establishing the revelation of the Lord as the stronghold of our life. Father, we want to be a generous people, full of your joy, courage. We don't want to live under the stress and anxiety and worry that the whole world seems to be living under. We want to find in Christ the joy from the Prince of Peace that your kingdom would shine forth from our lives. Father, come and minister deeply into our hearts up, pray. Thank you, Jesus. Just with your eyes closed for a moment, maybe you here visiting us today, maybe you've never put your faith and trust in this king and his kingdom. Really, the Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe this morning you need to begin to cry out to the Lord. Say, Lord, I don't want to live in this worldly kingdom. I want to be part of the kingdom of God. Jesus, I want you as the king of my life. Friends, the Bible says when we repent of our sin, when we turn to the Lord, confessing our sin, trusting in Jesus, he not only forgives us of our sin, he purifies us from all unrighteousness and gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. And friends, if that's you, we would uh, love to encourage you. We'd love to pray with you as well. Maybe if you're wrestling through this stronghold of worry and anxiety about money, we'd love to pray for you this morning as well. We've got a team of cars. We're going to be praying now. But Father, I want to thank you so much for the wonderful freedom we have in Christ. Thank you that as we go, we go knowing your gracious hand is upon us. In Jesus' name. And God's people say, May the Lord bless you.